Please allow me to teach today from the very same text that I preached my first public sermon. Um, It was a hot, very humid Sunday, midsummer, 1974, and this text, I think, will help you, and uh, it's my favorite Bible text. And we're going to read it in just a moment, but I just wanted to preface by saying this is not the sermon that I preached then. This is a different, taken from a different uh, perspective, but the same text, same idea, same story, uh, same characters, and I pray that God will do a great work with it. From recent, and by the way, by the way, I, I entitled that sermon back then, Happiness at Midnight. And we won't be into it very long before you'll realize why. From recent uh, recorded history, we learn that earthquakes are not something to be played with. In 1960, one of the greatest earthquakes on record happened in the country, the South American country of Chile, and uh, it was a 9.5 magnitude earthquake. I would take another hour just to talk to you about all the, the uh, out, outfall from that earthquake and all the devastation that it caused, but I'm just going to list a few more to kind of bring it up to date. In 1964, we had the Prince William Sound earthquake in Alaska, that was a 9.2 magnitude earthquake. And then in 2004, we had the Indian Ocean earthquake and tsunami hitting Indonesia primarily, but doing a lot of damage. It was a 9.1. It killed over 300,000 people in 13 different countries. Massive, massive devastation. In 2010, we had a 7.1, doesn't seem to be quite as devastating, but in the country of Haiti, and nearly 250,000 lives were lost, best they can tell. They never really got an accurate count. 3.5 million people were affected or devastated. 5 million homes reduced to rubble. 4,000 schools destroyed or badly damaged. The earthquake. The earthquake story goes on and on. It's quite a story, even in modern human history. Mass destruction. Cities uh, cities and villages totally decimated. Homes and buildings completely destroyed. Tens of thousands, even millions of people injured, and even millions more have died. And we must have respect for the power of an earthquake and and heed its warning signs. An earthquake is a massive flow of power and destructive force. An earthquake moves with great power and speed, and it's something to be feared. Do you know that it can do all its damage, some earthquakes can, in less than five seconds? In less than five seconds? So this morning we're going to look at something that I think you'll find interesting. So I've entitled my message, See the Jailhouse Rock. And no, I'm not inviting you to the Elvis Presley movie of the 50s. 
And I know that predates most of you. That was a pretty popular movie and an even more popular song. That's where we're going this morning. My question is, can an earthquake, an earthquake be a good thing? Well, at first thought, without even really getting into it, you and I would probably both say, of course not. Something so destructive can't be good. Something so devastating can't be good. Something so deadly can't be good. However, hear this. In the hand of God, anything can be good. You see, God can take anything that seems bad and use it for something good. So this morning we're going to look at the night when God made the jailhouse rock. We're going to read in Acts chapter 16. If you have your Bible, your Bible app, whatever form you have, would you turn with me to Acts chapter 16? I'm going to invite you to read with me. I'm going to read a few verses uh, to get it started. And I'm starting at verse 16. So Acts 16, starting to read at verse 16. Now these first two or three verses won't be on the screen for you, so you'll have to just hear me out. One day, this is Luke writing now in Acts. One day, Luke says, on our way to the place of prayer, a slave girl ran into us. She was a psychic, and with her fortune-telling, she made a lot of money for the people who owned her. She started following Paul around, calling everyone's attention to us by yelling out, These men are working for the Most High God. They're laying out the road of salvation for you. And so she did this for a number of days until Paul, knowing that she was demon-possessed, finally fed up with her. He turned and commanded that spirit that possessed her and said, Out! In the name of Jesus Christ, get out of her. And it was gone just like that. Now I draw your attention to verse 19. And by the way, I'm reading from the message. If you say, my Bible, I don't know if I'm in the right place or whatever. I'm, I'm reading from a different uh, version today. And I just want to kind of bring it to life. So Acts chapter 16, starting at verse 19. Louis' verses are going to be on the screen for you. And uh, read along. Uh, you, we, we sound so much better together. We do a great job reading. Verse 16, when her owners saw that their lucrative little business was suddenly bankrupt, they went after Paul and Silas, roughed them up, and dragged them into the market square. Then the police arrested them and pulled them into a court with the accusation, these men are disturbing the peace, dangerous Jewish agitators subverting our Roman law and order. By this time, the crowd had turned into a restless mob out for blood. Go, feel free to read with me. The judges went along with the mob, had Paul and Silas's clothes ripped off and ordered a public beating. After beating them black and blue, they threw them into jail, telling the jailkeeper to put them under heavy guard so there would be no chance of escape. He did just that threw them into the maximum security cell in the jail, and clamped leg irons on them. Along about midnight, Paul and Silas were at prayer and singing a robust hymn to God. The other prisoners couldn't believe their ears. Then without warning, a huge earthquake. 
The jailhouse tottered. Every door flew open. All the prisoners were loose. Startled from sleep, the jailer saw all the doors swinging loose on their hinges. Assuming that all the prisoners had escaped, he pulled out his sword and was about to do himself in, figuring he was as good as dead anyway. When Paul stopped him, don't do that. Don't do that. We're all still here. Nobody's run away. The jailer got a torch and ran inside. Badly shaken, he collapsed in front of Paul and Silas. He led them out of the jail and he asked, Sirs, what do I have to do to be saved, to really live? They said, put your entire trust in the Master Jesus. Then you'll live as you were meant to live, and everyone in your house included. They went on to spell out in detail the story of the Master The entire family got in on this part. They never did get to bed that night. The jailer made them feel at home, dressed their wounds, and then he couldn't wait till morning, was baptized. He and everyone in his family. There in his home, he had food set out for a festive meal. It was a night to remember. He and his entire family had put their trust in God. Everyone in the house was in on the celebration. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, open the minds of our understanding, touch our spirits, open our souls to truth, and help us each one to be receptive and responsive to your precious word. And we'll thank you for it, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. See the jailhouse rock. So let's first understand. There are, I think, three things, two or three things that I want you to see here uh, clearly and understand about this story. It's an intriguing story. It's a wonderful story. It's a miraculous story. It's a story of the power and presence of Almighty God in our lives. So let's first understand the spirit that rocked the jailhouse. Paul and Silas, you see, were very courageous. They were arrested for their work and for their their gospel passion. But first, Paul and Silas were flogged. That means literally they were beaten with rods. And secondly, they were thrown into prison. And then they were placed under very tight security. And then they were placed in stocks. These were reserved, the stocks, by the way, were reserved for the most dangerous of criminals. You see, Paul and Silas all through this never gave up. They had courage. They had spirit. They had hope. Paul and Silas were consistent. Paul and Silas continued their ministry, even in prison. And so along about midnight, and I like how every version puts it, either at midnight or about midnight, or along about midnight, Paul and Silas began to pray and sing praise to God in prison. I'll say again. Paul and Silas began to pray and sing praises to God in prison. That's right. That's about when you and I would be complaining that the pastor hadn't visited us yet and the church really doesn't care. They began to pray. 
Their work was having a tremendous impact. Yes, they impacted their own hearts and spirits, and they were lifted up because of that, but they also had an impact on the rest of the prisoners. You say, well, I, I, could, never, I could never do that. I, I, I could never praise at midnight after being beaten with rods and thrown into the prison and, 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 and clamped down with these awful devices. I, I, I don't think I could ever do that. I, I, could, I don't qualify. I don't qualify to praise God. I'm, I'm not worthy to praise God. Pastor, would I be qualified to praise God like that? Well, let's do a little test. How many would like to have a test this morning? How many would like to have a test this morning or be thrown out of the school? Okay, everybody put their hand up like this. That means you when I say everybody. And then put it in front of your face, oh, about three or four inches out there in front of your face. Now, on the count of three, I want you, with your mouth, to blow on your hand. Okay? Three, two, one, blow. Okay, and I'm going to look around. How many of you felt something on your hand? How many of you felt it? Okay, call the undertaker. We've got some here that... Now, come on, play the game. How many of you felt something on your hand? Okay. Let's go to Psalm 150, verse 6. And we'll read this one all together, okay? Let everything that has... Let everything that has... Let everything that has... Do what? Weak. Let... Everything that has praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Are you qualified? Are you qualified? It's just that simple. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. So the first thing we see in this uh, prison experience is the spirit surrounding it. With a spirit like that, you know it's going somewhere. The second thing we see is what we call the sympathy in the jailhouse. I want to tell you the story of a young lady named Katie Fisher, age 17. She entered the Madison County, Ohio Junior Livestock Sale hoping that the little lamb that she had raised and now had for sale, would get a good price at auction. For months, you see, Katie had been battling cancer. She had her own battle. She had endured hospital stays and been through chemotherapy a number of times, even by the time she was 17. Before that lamb went on the block, the auctioneer told the audience about Katie's condition and how, what a brave young lady she was to be here this, that day and and, and to have her livestock there and in for the auction and so on. And the auctioneer was hoping that if he gave that kind of introduction, it might push the price per pound above the average. And the average then was around $2. And it did. Boy, and then some. By the way, the lamb sold for $11.50 a pound. After the transaction was made, the person who bought it gave it back, and suggested the auctioneer sell it again. 
That started the chain reaction. Families bought it and gave it back. Businesses bought it and gave it back. Other farmers bought it and gave it back. Katie's mother said the first sale is the only one I remember after that. I was crying too hard. I couldn't see anything. They ended up selling the lamb 36 times that day, raising more than $16,000 in the process. And everyone at that auction who was involved lost control when the numbers were announced. You know what? In our story here in Acts 16... Our friend, the jailer, saw what was going on, and he lost control, too. I mean, the earthquake rocked the prison. The prison's foundations, the Bible says, were shaken. Every prison door opened, and every prisoner's chains fell off. And the jailer lost hope. He saw the open doors and assumed, oh, all my, all these prisoners, they've all escaped. They're gone. So what next? The jailer prepares to commit suicide. Why? Because any guard who allowed prisoners to escape would be executed. All you have to do is go back. To Acts chapter 12, you go back just a few chapters, verses 18 and 19, and you remember all the guards who were responsible for the imprisoning of Peter were executed when he escaped so miraculously, and that's another great prison story. So the jailer was going to kill himself to avoid the Roman execution. But, 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 Paul and Silas show concern. Church, Paul and Silas show concern. Yes, Paul was concerned for the jailer's safety, and he stops the jailer from killing himself. And Paul reports, look, none of the prisoners are gone. The original or or one of the authorized versions says, we are all here. Nobody has left anything. You're safe. You're going to live. But really, Paul was concerned not so much for the jailer's safety as he was for the jailer's soul. And by his action and his reactions, Paul, you see, was drawing this jailer to Christ. That's right. Paul shares the gospel story with the jailer, and some really exciting things happen. So we see the spirit of the jailhouse at midnight. We see the sympathy that's been expressed there in the jailhouse. Now thirdly, we see the salvation that, and this is what I think rocks the jailhouse. This is what gets everything set for the exciting, dramatic theme of of this story. The jailer was converted. And for certain, the jailer was ready to receive Christ. He was ready, I think, to do anything. Because he knew he was very close to death if anything serious happened regarding those prisoners. There was no doubt that the jailer already heard Paul preaching and sharing. And needless to say, it was a crisis moment. And he's ready to receive Christ. And his question was the question that everyone should ask. If you haven't asked it, maybe today would be the very best day for you to ask it. 
He said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Wow, that speaks volumes. What must I do to have what you have? What must I do to live this life of victory and hope and joy that you live? If I'm not mistaken, just a few hours ago, you were tossed into this dungeon, into this old jail. After being severely beaten, and we put you in chains, and we put you in the stocks, and you just kept on praising. Why? Because Psalm 150, verse 6 says what? Let everything that hath breath do what? Praise the Lord. Mm. The jailer received Christ. The jailer's home was changed for now. The jailer cares for Paul and Silas. The jailer cleaned and bandaged their wounds. Man, if this isn't a complete reversal, if this isn't just the absolute opposite of what you'd expect when you started reading this story in Scripture, the jailer cleans and bandages the wounds of Paul and Silas. I wonder how many of those wounds he actually inflicted on those bodies. The jailer then gave them a meal. And what's the result? Paul wins the whole household. The entire family is one to Christ and was baptized straightway. That is, they didn't wait till morning. They didn't wait till the next baptism. They didn't wait till next summer. They didn't wait till the water warmed up. They were baptized that night. I'd like to try a midnight baptism sometime, see how that would be. Wow. That household was filled with joy. And that's why I call that first sermon, Happiness at Midnight. But here's my question today, 49 plus years later. Is God still in the business of rocking places? Yes. God still is in the business of rocking places. God wants to rock this church with spirit. God's desire is for us to be bold and courageous. We are to be bold in the way we pray, courageous in the way we share the love of Jesus, bold in our faith, courageous in our service. God wants us as a church and as individuals never, never, never to give up. God wants us to serve him even when times get tough. God wants us to be willing to have hope and to look to Him even in the most dismal situations. I said, God wants to rock this church with Paul's kind of spirit and with Paul's kind of sympathy. You know the power, and, and, and what, I, what would I call uh, Paul's kind of sympathy? I would call it the very power of love. Love for Jesus and the love of Jesus. And with that living in you, the love for others. The power of love is a very strong thing. We have many people in this church who understand that and who've exhibited that many times. Do you ever notice a little, even a little love? <laughs> Goes a long, long way. Just a little gesture, just a little mention just a little kind word when i say little i'm saying something that doesn't take a lot of time or a lot of energy or a lot of forethought just hmm, 
Mm. You see, Jesus loved us enough to go way beyond that and to die for us. So we should love lost people enough to share the truth at least and show them the grace of Jesus at every chance we get. Now, church, God wants to see our concern for other people. We must have a deep concern for the physical welfare of people, and we do. And of course we should. And we must have a greater concern for the spiritual welfare of other people, too. Hello? Hello? Many times, <clears throat> having a concern for the physical welfare of someone will lead us <clears throat> into a place where our greater concern for the spiritual welfare of that person or those persons will yield fruit for the, for the master. I believe God wants to rock this church with salvation and with spiritual growth and with service. The purpose of the church is to spread the good news and God will provide the opportunities. When we're ready and when we're poised and when we're in the place where he can do his work, he'll provide the opportunity. We must be willing to step through those doors of opportunity that he opens for us. A number of years ago, Michael W. Smith and Amy Grant Gill and someone else wrote a song called Give It Away. And the theme of the song is, love isn't love till you what? Give it away. Love isn't love till you give it away. My friends, now's the time that we should give away the love of Jesus. And mark it down. The church will be changed when this begins. You say, well, I don't want anything about our church to change. No, we need to be changing from glory to glory. Huh? From growth to growth. You see it everywhere else. You see it physically. You see it mentally. You see it in the geopolitical world. You see it all around us. But so many times, and I'm not saying this church because I don't believe it's true, <clears throat> but a lot of churches like, no, we don't want, we don't want to change. We can't change. No we, all, no, we always did it that way before. Seven last words of the church. Yep. Now, the, the time, the, the, now is the time. Time is fleeting. And we, we should be giving away the love of Jesus on every hand. And mark it down, the church will be changed in a good way over and over and over again when that begins. Matter of fact, I believe this. I believe it has already begun and is at work here in this church. All praise to God. Here's the fact. I use the word transformation. Here is the fact of transformation. Spiritual transformation is that a man, a woman, <clears throat> or a child, listen carefully, cannot, cannot remain the same once Jesus comes into his or her life. People are going to be drawn to wherever God is moving. Our church may need to be rocked by the power of God, and only God can do it. We can't do it. We can't drum it up from the ground. 
You see, God rocked that prison in Philippi, and he can rock our church with his power. That's not a bad thing, by the way. God has not changed from the day he rocked that prison to this one. He did it then, and he can do it now. But I wonder. I wonder. I wonder if God wants to rock this church with his power and his presence. I wonder if we need a jailhouse rock. We'll be dancing to the jailhouse rock. I wonder. It's funny, you were singing a song earlier this morning saying that we're going to be dancing through eternity. And some of you are going to be great dancers because you've never danced not even one step in this life, so you've saved it all up for the next one. (laughs) I can't wait to see you. I've pretty well spent my dance hours (laughs) in this life. (laughs) But I wonder if God wants to rock this church with his power and his presence. I just wonder. I don't know. I'm not pretending that I know. But I wonder something else. I wonder this. I'm going to bring it down to Main Street. I wonder if God wants to rock our personal lives with his power and his courage for service. I love this story. I don't know what part of the country it was in. A few years back, there was a huge tractor trailer one of those really big, big ones. And it was overturned, on a, of course, of course, on a very busy highway. I mean, a real throughway in that particular state. So when emergency crews arrived on the scene, they discovered, you could tell just as soon as they got out of their vehicles, they could smell it. Fuel was leaking onto the road, and it was seeping into the surrounding grass and the woods and, and, and all the under... Uh, uh, growth. So immediately they called for a truckload of peat moss to be brought in and spread on the spill to absorb the fuel and prevent further damage to the environment. Shortly after they spread the peat moss, a sudden downpour of rain came and it washed out all their efforts. All that good intention washed away. But in the confusion of trying to get another truck to bring a load of peat moths, the workers failed to realize that the overturned truck was hauling a full load of, guess what? Peat moss. Wow. True story. Think about it. I, I was going to laugh at it too, but then I got thinking about this. How many times we get so focused on our problem that we overlook the fact that the answer is already right in front of our face. I thought it was funny too, but, but then I, I thought, how many times do we get so focused on the problem? We overlook the fact that the answer has been right in front of us the entire time. Look. Whatever your calamity, God's already on the scene. And I've got the perfect illustration for that. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus' disciples are in the midst of a violent storm that came out of nowhere. I mean, it just, it was 
calm and placid and peaceful and nice, and now it looks like the world is coming to an end. They're in the middle of a storm. Waves are crashing all around. The sails are torn. The boat is battered. Bailing isn't working. Chaos is creeping in. And your friend and mine, Jesus, is sleeping through it all. So I say, my friend, if Jesus is sleeping in the storm, relax! If Jesus is sleeping in the storm, relax! Throw out a rod, do some fishing. <laughs> when the disciples, this is the interesting part, I'm still on this story, stay with me. When the disciples woke him up, they weren't expecting him to calm the storm. They were probably handing him a bucket because they needed somebody else to bail, and the solution staring them right in the face, just like the peat moss, just like the peat moss. And they want him to throw water. God doesn't want to bail you out. He wants to deliver you out. When it seemed like all hell had broken loose, Jesus broke in and broke up the storm. And in your life, God will break in wherever and whenever he's needed. He's already on the scene. Paul and Silas were simply preaching and praying and singing praise because let everything that hath breath do what? Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the Lord. They're not breaking any laws. I found it interesting when the, the, the local uh, owners of that slave girl lost their income, and they chased Paul and Silas, trying to drive them out of town, and they chased them to the Roman leaders. They said, these men, being Jews, do greatly trouble our city. And I read that in my study one day when my wife was handy, and I said, boy, nothing has changed. They didn't break any laws. Oh, but old Satan was shaking and breaking because something's going on in his program and he doesn't like it and he sets about to silence the competition. You know the devil has no new tricks? You understand that? The devil has no new tricks. Nothing new in his arsenal, nothing. But for once, I'm going to give him credit, he actually tells the truth. What do you mean? Well, as long as the girl was delivering her message, she was distracting from the message. And finally, Paul had had enough, and he told the demon to depart from the girl. And by delivering the girl, this angered the empl her employers, which gave Satan an upper hand, but temporarily. It looked like all hope would soon be lost. It looked like nothing would ever help. It looked like we're here and we'll never be anywhere else. And at midnight, <laughs> and at midnight, 
Don't interrupt my sleep. I don't have time for that religious stuff late at night, early in the morning. Come on. And at midnight, the blood's not even dry on their backs. Paul and Silas prayed and thanked God and asked him for more doors of opportunity. And then they 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 praised the Lord. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Could you do that? Could you? You say, how do I know? Check on the breath. Check quick. You got one? You can do it. It says right here. Oh, not only can you do it, you are commanded to do it. It's the last command of the book of Psalms, the Hebrew prayer book. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. And at midnight, Paul and Silas knew what to do. Paul had some Jewish background. He was a Roman citizen who spoke Greek, but Silas, not so much. These men being Jews, well, what men? Who do you mean? They greatly trouble our city, and yeah, they greatly trouble your bottom line. That was the problem. In the midst of what appeared to be a desperate situation, they allowed God to break in, and wow, oh, wow, wow, did he ever break in. The jailhouse rocked, the prison doors broke open, shackles shook free, and God broke in. I say all that to say this. It does not matter the situation because God has the solution. It does not matter the hurt, for he can heal. It does not matter the desperation, he has the deliverance. It does not matter the sin. He is the solution. Doesn't matter our agony. He is the answer. Now hear me, friend. I don't know where you are spiritually. I don't know how much you understand. I can't imagine there isn't a, that there's one person even in this room that can't understand this biblical story. But I want to ask this question. Jesus is waiting for you to say yes. And to allow him to break in and break up. And to rock your jailhouse and set you free. What do you say? What do you say? If you say, that's what I need. You talked about salvation. That's what I need. You talked about baptism. That's what I need. You talked about serving God and being bold. That's what I need. You talked about having compassion for the, and love for the lost souls. That's what I need. People who are in desperate situation, they need physical help. They need mental help. They need social help. They need financial help. Whatever help they need, they certainly need spiritual help. I need that. And I need that, that bravado. I need that power to pray like Paul and Silas prayed. When that jailer said, what must I do to be saved? The answer was so quick to come and so simple to understand 
Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and your household. Wow. There is no way in the world that anybody could misinterpret the meaning of those words. If you're here this morning and you know you need Jesus in a particular way, and you know that this is the day, and you know that the Holy Spirit is working on you, I want you to take that Connect card that's in the seat back somewhere near you, in front of you, beside you, behind you, whatever, and just write your name on there. And then tell us on the back side of that card, what is your decision? What did you decide today? What is your need? What do you want to talk to someone about? How can we pray for you? How can we love you? How can we lead you? And how can we be an example for you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. Thank you that you showed us the perfect, perfect example of love, concern, sympathy, power. All we have to do is trust you. You're on the scene. Help us on the way. You're there. It's staring us in the face. We keep walking away from it, maybe. We keep saying, oh, another day. Oh, another year. Oh, another time. And yet today, our heart tells us, and our mind even confirms it, that this is the day, this is the hour, and this is the place. So we ask you to convict souls today and lead everyone that's here today with that great need into a great knowledge and experience with Jesus Christ, our Savior. And if that's you who's praying that prayer today and you fill out that card, nobody around you is going to think less of you. Nobody around you is going to be looking at you to judge you. You just fill in that information, see that one of the pastors gets it or drop it in one of the boxes in the entryway or in the, in the uh, welcome center and we'll be glad to follow up because we love you. Jesus loves you and we want the best for you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.